Thank you again for joining us with another episode of Pursuit of Purpose. I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And today we have the distinguished privilege of having a very special guest with us. He is a doctor and a very successful human. <laughs> and we're very proud to have him with us today. If you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself and, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah, I appreciate y'all letting me come on. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a... Uh, I consider myself successful, but, you know, I think God walks for me every day to try to make that, you know, that journey unique. Um, my name is Chad Hammett. I'm a, a family practice physician here in uh, Beaumont, Texas. I'm a part of Beaumont Internal Medicine uh, and Geriatrics Associates. Um, we call it BIGMA, B-I-M-G-A. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was asked by you several weeks ago to, you know, come on and give my story. And I, you know, I, I never like to. I hate talking about myself, but, you know, you know, I think if it, if my story will help others and my story will help encourage other people to kind of, you know, look past their past and, you know, press forward and realize there's people in our lives that are stepping stones to where we're at. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you've accomplished a lot and you're not that old of a guy. Uh, you're a doctor. You've been, from what I understand, you've been involved in several practices over the years. Yes. Um, if you wouldn't mind, let's go back to your early life, yeah. uh, your childhood. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, Long well, White Oak, Texas, oh. uh, which is a little small uh, community of about 3,500, maybe a little bigger now, hmm. uh, next to Longview, Texas. Okay. About six miles, uh, I guess, west of Longview on Highway 80. Okay. And about 10 miles from Kilgore, if that kind of puts perspective uh, on how East Texas I am. Yeah. So... <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, no, we were called the White Oak Roughnecks. White Oak Roughnecks. Yeah. So did you have a, a, a big family growing up in your household? Well, um, I did. I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, was from a split family. Um, you know, mom and dad uh, were uh, married for at least 14 years. Uh, they got divorced uh, when I was three years old. Okay. Um, and that's kind of where my, I guess, my journey began. Um well, again, the day my mom can see me, uh, you know, and God had a plan for that every day um, from there on. But uh, I think my journey started when I was about three. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know if you want to go. Yeah, that. please, by all means. Um, well, you know, three years old is kind of where I say that, you know, um, my journey began as far as what God's intention and what his plan was for me. Uh, you know, you don't realize what that is until later on in life. Um, but, you know, Mother's Day, my mom's birthday, 1978. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, mother, when you were listening to this. <laughs> uh, maybe 77. Um, yeah, it was, it was 77. Um, you know, I was, uh, it was Mother's Day and Mom's birthday, and, um, you know, I was involved in an accidental shooting. Um, my brother was 10 years old at the time, and my mom, uh, I mean, and I was three. Um, and so I can go into further detail on that, but. It was just an actual shoot by my brother. A lot of people say, oh, your brother shot you. Uh, you know, did he do it on purpose? No, I mean, um, there's a lot of times I like we like to kid with each other. Yeah. Listen to this, he knows what we're talking about. Um, but it was just one of those freak accidents. Um, we were trying to scare off some, it was, we were getting ready, we were already ready for church. In other words, getting ready for church. And we lived in, you know, far enough away from people, you know, like you live in your neighborhood. Yeah. I know, I've been there in, uh, White, you know, in, in where you live off of uh, Keith Road. You know, all the homes sometimes are spread apart. Yeah. An eighth of a mile or a quarter mile apart and that's kind of like initially how our house was and um and so we were had these wild dogs that were messing with some of our own personal cats 
Uh, one had, uh, you know, been killed a week before. And, and so we, we heard the dogs back in our uh, garage that day and uh, causing a commotion. So my brother knew where the 14 shotgun was because uh, my dad had been teaching him how to hunt. Right. And then and my dad had left it there. But so my brother took it, went outside, shot the shot around out in the air. And then he comes back in and loads another shotgun shell, uh, buckshot. Um, and when he closed, you know, um, you know, I go back and I did some research back on those four tens. Um, you know, apparently those four tens back in that time were having problems with the hammers. Mm. And so when you would uh, put the shell in, you close it, the hammer would drop drop off. And I just so happened to be on this side of him, about from here, probably from the screen there um, to the to the to the blast. So wow, you know. So I think you know when it comes to that point, I think there's a distance issue that determines what your mortality rate is, and as far as your outcome. Uh, and the doctor said, luckily, I was closer to the to the actual barrel than being farther apart because it concentrated on the left side of my face. Mm -hmm. um, and so, if you were to kind of put everything in perspective, then everything from here over was kind of completely blown away, um, and that kind of leads on to where my journey began through my life i went through 32 surgeries um kind of was in and out of the hospital from the time i was three until the time i was 10 or 11 as far as having surgeries every six months every three months times having surgeries every week um but that's kind of how my childhood was and how it began and it's kind of was what you know kind of my blessing at that time you know because of people in my life at that time it's also a testimony to, I'm sure, the develop the development of your relationship with your mom. Yes, and to your brother. I'm sure that y'all's yeah. relationships got really Much close. Yeah, yeah. My my mom, uh, you know, going through, you know, she was in the process of going through divorce. Her and my dad were separated. So you can imagine uh, being in the middle of going through a divorce and you know trying to be a, a single mom at the same time, and then this happens. Um, they initially tried to separate my brother from me because they didn't know what his intention was at the time. And so that eventually had a challenge on him where he knows, we know it was an accident, but the authorities at that time thought it was kind of a, kind of a, um, you know, him resenting the fact that mom and dad were going through a divorce. Yeah. But, you know, so I know he dealt with a lot mentally at that time. Um, but yeah, we're very close. I'm very close to my mother. I'm a mama's boy. Uh, hmm. You know, if I didn't hear from her daily, uh, there was something, something wrong. And now that I've gotten a little older, I'm starting to be a bad son. I need to start calling her more. <laughs> Daily. But, uh, yeah, that, you know, I'm definitely mama's boy, and you know, I realized what my mom had to go through at that time in life. Um, every day through those thirty, I went through thirty-three surgeries, so um, she was at my bedside every single surgery. Wow. Mm -hmm. Other than my last one, and my wife teacher was. So yeah. How long ago was the most recent? Uh, the most recent was actually seventeen years ago. Uh, it was in the middle of my residency. Um, and I had insurance then. Uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah. So I said, you know, if I'm a, let's do it right. Yeah. If I'm going to get something done, let's do it while we have insurance. So, uh, that I had, had it done in my last four months of my residency. So, so do you have ongoing effects like constantly? Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm legally blind in my left eye, um, which I see, you know, I can see the wall and perfectly with my right eye or contacts in my right eye. Uh, I have no feeling at all on the left side of my face. Um, I can have, you know, if you see something tonight or y'all see something on the screen, y'all can chime in. Uh, I know this is going to be posted later. Uh, 
But, you know, if I have stuff in my face, a lot of times my wife has to give me a code name and say, hey, you got drainage coming off your nose. And, <laughs> so y'all have, y'all have <laughs> we have code signals. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. What uh, a good friend. And now she's just got, we got points, you know, 22 years of marriage. She, yeah. just, she just says, will you please wipe your mouth? You know. <laughs> that's awesome. You're at a party and you got a little whipped cream, you know, yeah, and yeah. she's like, can you just handle your business? Can you handle your business? Yeah. business. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no sympathy anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, having gone through all those surgeries, and of course that's spread out over years. Yeah. You just said 17 years ago, we're not young men. Yeah. Uh, so, speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. So, uh, I'm just curious, because I'm getting to know you. I know yeah. you guys are friends, but yeah. did that have some influence on your, your uh, attraction to medicine? Oh, most definitely. And I, I hope, you know, my mentor uh, gets to hear the story. I'm yeah. sure he will, because um, I'll send it to him if you don't. Uh, his name is Dr. It's Doc, Reverend Dr. John Graham. Oh, all right. Um, John Graham uh, is by far, you know, uh, my mentor to that part of it. Hmm. He was my plastic surgeon. Uh, he was the one that was there to, uh, the day I walked into the ER. I didn't walk in the ER. Sorry, I got, you know, uh, I remember impression we got flown to Shumpert um, out of Longview, Texas, because yeah. they didn't have a trauma center at that time. So they okay. took me to the Shumpert and Shreveport. Oh, and, wow. Yes. And at Christmas, now it's Christmas, Christmas Hospital, but back then it was called, it was a Catholic church, a Catholic hospital called Shumpert. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I had at least a lot of my surgeries until I was 14 years old. Uh, but Dr. Grant, John Grant was the one that was there, was, was receiving me in the ER. Uh, he's the one that uh, actually did about 14 of my surgeries. Wow. I would say well, probably more than that. He did he did a lot of my surgeries from the time I was three till the time I was fourteen. Hmm. Um and he uh he always uh you know, back in the day when you had surgeries, um, you know, even from that standpoint, you, you would always go in uh, the night before and do your pre op. Mm-hmm. Nowadays yeah. they, they will you in you know, an hour before your surgery and say, you know, any questions and they really don't ask you that. They just take it to the OR and do your surgery. <laughs> but back yeah. then they would take you in, do your pre op, yes. do your blood count. Yeah. Um, make sure you're ready for surgery the next day. But what I what what uh what was unique about Doctor Graham is he would come in the night before, mm. and he would say, "Hey, do you have, do you and your you know technically to my mom, you know, because mm. she's the one freaking out about the surgeries." Right. And yeah, I'm just like, well, another day, another surgery. <laughs> um, you know, but she she you know he would always come and answer the questions, but also too he would pray with us at bedside. Wow, and, uh, awesome! And that's something that I remember even at the ages of four and five and six. And he did it almost every surgery that I remember of. And then also, mom didn't know, but uh, a lot of times in in the pre op before they take you back to surgery, he would pray again. Okay. Um. So we, we you know that that's that that made a big impact on me. And at that time, I didn't realize when and how that would do that. Yeah. And. Uh, so one thing I, that I really appreciate about Dr. Graham too, and it was his wife, um, um, I'm going to mess her name up, I call her Miss Graham now. That's uh, fine. Yep. Uh, but she's a sweetheart too, but she would also come and pick my mom up, you know, uh, when she'd been in the hospital all the time and just yeah. take her out and get her out and shop with her for a little bit. Wow. You hear that. You don't hear those stories no. anymore. Right. And so... Oh, I can go in deeper to this conversation. Which, go all, as far you know, as you would like. You know, I know we'll go back and forth to the yeah. time I was young until the time I am now, but how it got me into the practice of medicine and how it got me into where I'm at now to be able to tell my story is um, I was 20. It was 11 years after I was 14, so I was 25 years old. Okay. I just got accepted to medical school. Mm. Um, Where'd you go to medical school? At UT, uh, University of Texas Medical Branch. Mm-hmm. I went to um, um, 
undergrad at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied uh, for medical school. I had to sit out one year because um, God had other plans for me. And then I reapplied to medical school. Got accepted to UTMD. Um, became good friends with, you know, um, about, you know, there were girls at that time. There were four girls. I didn't really have any guy friends uh, until after medical school started. So everybody gave me a hard time. But these four girls were a big part of my life. And then, you know, I asked them, I said, hey, will you go to church with me? You know, well, let me go back. Let me go back. Yeah, go ahead. Dr. Graham left medicine okay. oh, when wow. I was 14 years old. And he left medicine completely. He, this guy was double board on plastic surgery and ears, nose, and throat. Mm-hmm. Um, had a huge, successful practice in Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And his, um, but he felt a calling, you know, uh, to go into the ministry. Okay. Wow. This is a guy who was double boarded. And I spent probably, you know, 25 years of medicine or, or more, 30. Right. Uh, but then he wanted to go get his doctorate in religion. And so hmm. um, during the time he was a doctor, he wrote several books that were that were Christian based. Uh, you know, one was called Mold Me, Shape Me, you know, talking about mold the human body, but also shape me spiritually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so he has always had a little spiritual aspect. Plus, he prayed, you know, and he said he, when we when we went back to past tense and I, I said, did you ever pray with every patient? He goes, no, there was only several of y'all that I felt comfortable praying with. Huh. And he said, y'all's family was one of those I could do that with. Wow. And so he left medicine, went to um, to become Episcopalian pastor. Okay. He got his doctorate in that. This guy, yeah. yeah. Um, he ended up being an Episcopalian. I guess they call him right. I'm not Episcopalian, but I'm very, you know, in religious. But um, you know, they have what they call rectors, I guess. Yeah. And um, he was at the church where President Bush, you know, and George Bush was. He was one of the rectors at that church. Oh, so one good. of the, one of the um, pastors there. Wow. Uh, where. I guess mom and daddy Bush went yeah. um, to church, you know, when you know that when they had the funerals, that's right. where the church was. I guess that's in the Houston. Yeah, it's Houston yeah. right there off of kind of off by Memorial Park, kind yeah. of that area. Yeah. And so I had not seen him in uh, um, 11 years. Um, and I said, you know what? I Googled him. I found out where he's at. He was at St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew he had already, I already knew that he had already had his doctorate now, but I wanted, I wanted to surprise him. I said, you know what? You know, he's close to me. Here I am in Galveston. Mm-hmm. Drove up uh, on Palm Sunday. Oh, wow. Uh, mm. And he was doing, they had, you know, the Episcopalian churches, I guess they have a main church and they have like a little subsidiary church they do at the same time. I don't, I'm not, don't get, please don't haunt me on this one. <laughs> um, but he was doing a, a service. Okay. And after the service, he went up and shaked everybody's hand and he's got his robe on and he kind of walked by each one of us and he kind of walked. It's about four or five other people after he passed me, and he kind of looked back at me and he goes, Chad Hammond, is that you? And I said, Yeah. And he goes, And I want, he could, and I, he, my wife corrects me and she says that he probably didn't say this while she wasn't around then. Uh, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure he's sure he said, Dang it, or darn it, or something that probably shouldn't have said. <laughs> white, white rub, hard in the rub. He goes, Damn, you know what he said? And he goes, Damn, you look good. <laughs> he goes, Your face looks so good. He goes, What are you doing now? And that's where I feel like everything just kind of came into play. Yeah, right. Right. So he goes, What are you doing now? I said, I came to tell you that I got sent to medical school and I wouldn't be where I'm at, or I wouldn't go in the direction I went in. If I didn't have that patient physician bond that we had back when I said, you know, the days you used to pray with me at bedside, the days that you came in after surgery, your family came in and supported my mom, supported the whole, you know, 
made me feel comfortable undergoing the surgeries. I was, you know, I was having skin grass every week. There's times I was in the hospital for six weeks, eight weeks. That, you know, you've been you've done that. Um, but, you know, being there and just pretty much living in the hospital, not knowing when you're going to go home and having skin grass every week, he was there every day, every month. Mm. And so I told him that. I said, I, I couldn't find myself doing anything else but being a physician and kind of implementing my spirituality into that. Yeah. Um, and so little did I know that he was going to take it and use that as his testimony. You know, so he, about that? he wrote a book called uh, Graham Crackers and Milk. Um, <laughs> Y'all want to look it up. Um, it's written by Reverend Dr. John Graham. Hmm. Um, and I'm chapter 11 in that book. And he calls it In Between Times. You know, hmm. you know, and what he said about that is, you know, he didn't realize why he went to medicine first. Why he became a board, double board, a double boarded certified physician. Mm -hmm. um, and he always, you know, questioned God's calling for him. Um, and he said, you know, but there were several y'all patients, you know, and I, and there was another boy that he came very close to too, that lost his arm, uh, from a, fell off a tractor uh -oh. and, his, and his arm got severed. He was able to revascularize that arm and save his arm. Wow. What? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And that's in his book too, one of his books. And so and he still has a special connection to that guy too. So yeah, I would imagine. Uh, but he says, you know, I feel like, you know, now I, you know, he does. I was in my in-between times, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of how you meet these in-between girlfriends, you know, uh, <laughs> we, we finally go through these in-between girlfriends to find our, you know, the one that we won't be with for the rest of our life. Right. Um, but that's kind of like his story. Now he, uh, at 70 years old, they make you retire as clergy as of the Episcopalian church. Okay. But now he, uh, I think Dr. Graham, please tell me if I'm wrong, but you're close, probably getting close to 80. Um, but he's, uh, leads the spirituality of medicine classes for the new medical students at, wow. at, um, at the medical center in Houston. Okay. Uh, so if you ever get a chance, Google him and read up on his story. It's amazing. But so he kind of, so like his, his calling and the questions about his calling, why he went to medicine first before he began and got his doctorate and, become a, a minister so yeah. that's neat um and i really feel like um i've, I've established those principles that i feel like he established me mm -hmm. uh that's a great testimony that yes yeah. and i feel like Perfect. i've implemented that into my practice yeah um and i can go in detail further on that later but um yeah but that's 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 kind of the, the basis and and um where i kind of you know you know you're you know i think several y'all are my patients um Ones that are my patients, they know I, I, I'll sit down with you, I'll talk with you. Um, it's not all about medicine sometimes, you know. A lot of times I'll probably talk to you about my own personal problems so you can be my counselor. <laughs> um, but, um, but that connection I have with my patients, they know when I'm serious, they know when I'm real, they know yeah. when, you know, when there's a time to quit teasing and joking and getting down to business. Right. Um, and I've been told by the school board, uh, that's another thing we'll talk about later, uh, that I'm compassionately blunt. So. Um, <laughs> And I'll pay to tell you like it is. So, so we've gotten you to about 25 years old yes. in your okay. story. That's yeah. where you are. Okay. Now, yes. before we move too much further, I've got a question that's just weighing on me. Yeah. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital for myself and for my kids right. and different things. And I'm, I'm just curious, do you know how many days you spent in the hospital? So far? Mom, please help me. Uh, you know, if you don't. It's no, okay. I don't. I just know the longest stint uh, was several months. Um, and then I would go back at a time, several months. Uh, I think the longest was uh, two or three months. Um, that's wow. when I, that's when I was I was going weekly in for screen grass. Mm. And so instead, nowadays, if you were doing that, they send you home. 
So you were definitely a platinum patient at the. Uh, oh well, yeah, we got I had crushes on the nurses, and they were nuns. Uh, but I had crushes on the nuns um, at the Shumper Hospital, That's and, great. Um, and I had a connection with were family. That's the whole Shumper Hospital was family. Not only Dr. Graham, but the ho- if I had had a negative experience at the hospital and 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 it was horrible, and I had nightmares in the hospital, I wouldn't be doing medicine. Yeah, I would. You know, um, and I think. Mom seeing me going to medicine made her heart full. Mm, I bet. You know, yeah. I, and I just think I couldn't, do, I, I just, I don't know if I could go and, and done anything else that I feel like I could do what I want to do, which was take care of people at the same time and be able to, you know, spiritually and physically challenge me. Um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I had my best friend that, you know, used to get me in trouble in high school. Uh, ben Carr, if you ever listen to this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's now a pastor up in Virginia. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he was a lot of my best friend and helped me through all that, too. But um, he asked me, he goes, hey, uh, why don't you go to seminary with me one year? I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't, don't want to go to seminary. And I, you know, so I I was a, I couldn't really play sports. That's where we're going to another topic. Mm-hmm. I couldn't play sports because I had this pin in my jaw where they had a Wow. You know, all this, I mean, all, can you imagine all this had to be reconstructed? I mean, all this is face grass, flaps, uh, you know, I wear dentures. Um, you know, I had a trach where that, I was on, you know, I was intubated. I'm oh, not intubated, but on the, yeah. on the breathing machine during the time they would do a lot of my surgeries because yeah. they didn't want my airways to be obstructed by the swelling and stuff. So a lot of times there was times I remember, if you go back, if I can remember the most painful enduring thing was, Having a trachea, a trachea, you know, having a trach for three or four months. Mm. Um, you know, I can remember those days very vividly. Um, and, you know, and there, I don't think there's any pain um, that I can remember other than them when they were suction me. Um, you know, hitting the line when they shouldn't have done that. Oh. Um, you know, I can remember that when they're suctioning and the pain from that more than I did from any of my surgeries. Wow. But so, but mm. what I was saying with that is, my friend said, "Let's go seminary." You know, go seminary one year. I said, "No, man, I'm good." Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I had gone through Christian camps and, and worked those. Um, but because I couldn't play sports, I became an athletic trainer in high school. Um, you know, I, got, I was able to stay close to football. At the same time, my buddy's like, you can play football. You just, you just want to be a trainer. I'm like, <laughs> no, you can't play no, football. Can't so I was an athletic trainer, and then uh, I was able to go to Kilgore Junior College yeah. uh, for two years. And for, nobody, for you know, those out there that says you can't go to medical school um, or get to medical school through a junior college, they're wrong. You, you can... You know, don't let that ever hold you back. You know, I went, I went to Kilroy Junior College for two years um, as an athletic trainer for the women's basketball team. Uh, you know, I was with one of the best coaches in, in um, women's basketball. Uh, and then I got transferred to, uh, I went, when I went to go to Baylor, which was my dream, mm-hmm. I was able to be a manager trainer because of my experience uh, from Kilroy Junior College and also for people that I met, you know, Larry Tidwell, I don't know if you know mm-hmm. remember that name. Yeah, sure did. Larry Tidwell was the assistant coach at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of him, and even knowing my relationship to my coach at Coorwood Junior College, she knew my dream was to come to Baylor. And so that's how I got established with the women's basketball team. Yeah. And traveled uh, all across, the, you know, the country with, uh, with the Baylor women's national, I mean, it was Baylor women's basketball team yeah. way before they became, you know, prominent. Right. You know, so right. Coach Mulkey wasn't there at that time. Right. Um, right. So, and then because of him, yeah. you know, it's always, I feel like God put people, certain people in my life to kind of, to leave me alone and get me in the right direction. So, and, and then from Baylor, uh, I was able to, I guess, make a good enough grades to uh, get accepted at UTMB where I met my wonderful wife. So, yeah. 
So you met your wife yes. at UTMB? Yeah, she was in nursing school. Uh, she was in her last semester. Uh, my goal was not to hook up with her my last semester, uh, <laughs> but I was able to, uh, uh, you know, I guess put the crush on her and she put the crush on me. And, uh, yeah. um, and I wanted somebody to help me get through medical school teaching uh, <laughs> uh, financially. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we, uh, uh, that's great. You know, we think pretty serious. I, we got engaged ten months after we started dating. I was a first year med student. She was a second year nursing, about to graduate. Um, after about ten months, I uh, proposed to her, uh, and then we were married two years later. So that's wow. Great. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 So it's been twenty two years this Friday. So well, uh, happy anniversary. Uh, anniversary. Yeah. 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 And she's still in nursing. Yeah, she is. So she's, uh, she, you know, uh, there's a common bond that you might have with Dietrich too, uh, with what you went through with your, you know, your ch uh, child. Um, you know, she was a human, he want, uh, she was a human nurse at MD Anderson. Okay. Did a pediatric, uh, oncology and hematology, uh, with, um, with, uh, MD Anderson for the first five years we were married, um, mm -hmm. going back and forth from, uh, we, at that time we lived in Clear Lake, okay. you know, uh, mm -hmm. Um, and she would go, I would go to Dallas and she would go to MD Anderson and, um, she became very close to her patients there. You know, there's times where, like you said, you'd be in those hospital for months going mm. for treatment. Yeah. Um, not knowing, you know, where you're going to end up 20, you know, 10 years later. Um, but she got become, she got very close to people who, uh, you know, had their kids through there. Actually people who lived in our, uh, lived in our, uh, city. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Hershey, or you know, my Hershel Manley made me mention his name with his daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't know at that time that we were coming to Lumberton, Texas. I didn't know I was coming to Little Bitty Lumberton, Texas. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was UTMB in Galveston, did my medical school, did my residency in Fort Worth, uh, John Peter Smith, Fort Worth, and there was there for three years. And she transferred from MD Anderson and went to Cook's Children's, uh, which is up in Fort Worth, and yeah. worked another three years there. Okay. And did, did bone marrow transplants and uh, was a bone marrow nurse. Um, and then at that time, it got a little hard for her because we, we had two young children at that time. Okay. And so she decided to get away from, you know, pediatric oncologists. It was getting a little tougher for her, um, you know, having kids and having to, you know, get so close to the parents and the children at that time. And so then uh, uh, she went into, uh, you know, you know, just doing infusion therapy. Mm. Then we got here to Lumberton, Texas, and she says, you know, I'm going to take a little break for a while. You, uh, you know, I put you up through medical school. Uh, you know, I paid for all your, you know, a lot of your expenses. Yeah. Uh, I still had a lot of loans. Um, but, you know, and so now she's a school nurse at um, at uh, Lumberton Intermediate. Uh, I've been doing that now at least maybe five years. So mm -hmm. I, I got her working out so she can pay for my health insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my wife. Yeah, yeah. It's expensive, but good. Yeah. Yes. We all hear that out there. Right. So, how many kids do y'all have? Uh, um, we have two. We have Hannah, uh, who's a sophomore at Baylor. Uh, she's following my uh, my footsteps. Which yeah. please don't brainwash your children to go to A and M, Baylor. <laughs> you know, Rice, TCU. Uh, unless you know what you're getting into financially. Uh, right. But you know, that's you know, these these schools are notorious for making you brainwash your children to uh, go to those schools. Yes. It becomes religion. It yes. does. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure uh, some of these A and M fans will know exactly how that. Uh, I can't use the word cool. It's not cool. Uh, no, yeah, no. Uh, you know, definitely knows how to brainwash yeah, their uh, yeah. generations upon generations to, to, uh -oh. to get them to come. Uh -oh. And Baylor does that same way. We have a, a tradition there. And so she's at her sophomore year. 
she's pre physical therapy. Okay. And uh, Devin, uh, uh, my son, um, uh, you know, he's had his challenges in life, but he's a singer in, in uh, high school. Um, and uh, he's going to probably stay close. And uh, he, I think he just got accepted to SFA. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if mom was ready for him to go to SFA. Oh, yeah. But, uh, mm. um, I think she wants to keep that baby close like I was with my mom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But and then I and I did raise my nephew. I don't remember if you remember that. I do. Uh, his name was Clayton. Uh, he came in and lived with us when he was a freshman in, in high school, and um, well, he was going through some challenges there in his life. Um, and he graduated from Lumberton. Now he's eleventh year in his Marines. You know. Wow. So, All right. Appreciate made a career of it. Yeah. So I, I we technically you know raised him and yeah. from that four year period, and sure. I, I call him my son. Yeah. That's Thank good. You. Thank you for your service, Clayton. Appreciate yeah. that. So you touched on something. Real briefly, and you kind of skirted around. Yeah, went right past it. Probably. So it, wait, this is not I'm a deep ADD. topic. That's I know, not, that's that's not okay. my I am diagnosed with that. How did you end up in Lumberton, Texas? Mm. Okay, uh, my in-laws live in Houston. Uh, I gotta be careful on how I describe that part of Houston. <laughs> oh, uh, no. They live off um, Uvalde and Normandy and uh, oh wow, off yeah. area, which uh, oh, yeah. uh, was a prominent area of Houston at one time. Uh, now it's very sure. diverse. Yeah, it's very diverse. Um, and so that's where she grew up. And Deetra wanted to be close to her parents. And I said, I am not going to practice in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, and I really did like North Fort Worth. I told her, I said, I'll get you close enough. Well, I didn't. You know, growing up in East Texas, growing up in Longview and uh, Tyler and White Oak area, you know, we had other words for Southeast Texas. Um, but, you know, God had other plans for me and put me here in Southeast Texas. We've been here 17 years. Um, and my kids started kindergarten and, and graduated from Lumberton. Um, but it's been it's been a blessing on that. Uh, what were you asking? I asked how you got there. I got there. Um, oh, then, I, you know, so when I started looking for jobs, uh, you know, I could do better financially if I came to Beaumont, Texas, and I would if I stayed in Dallas, if I stayed in Houston. Hmm. Uh, people don't realize that, you know. The cost uh, of living is cost of living is down. Uh, they're actually, uh, your payer mix, uh, as far as, uh, you know, your patients, it was better because of all the plants yeah. mm -hmm. and refineries. Yep. Uh, Mom and Pop and everybody has, uh, a lot of them have insurance and funding. Mm -hmm. And you go in these big towns of uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston, it's very sporadic. You might be in one neighborhood and then, um, that they're all funded with insurance and other one over here that it's not. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually the people who make a little bit more money that don't want to buy any health insurance. They think they're going to pay for it themselves. Mm -hmm. right? But long story short, um, it was the general initial income attraction mm -hmm. to Southeast Texas that brought me here. And, you know, lo and behold, that's, you know, when you get in practice, it's been there 17 years. Uh, uh, it's all about what you do and how you do it. Um, right. You know, determine if that, that's going to continue to be successful. And God's blessed me there financially. Mm -hmm. Are there some most favorite things you like about the profession you chose? Oh, uh, everything. You know, my wife might tell you the hours are, you know, are crazy, and I'm I'm home. Uh, I don't get home sometimes till eight o'clock every night. Mm -hmm. um, but every day I walk down the office, I feel it's not a job. It's you know, it's uh, something I enjoy doing. It's just like y'all talking here and doing y'all's podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you enjoy doing it, and uh, and I feel like. You know, yeah, I had the jitters every morning I walk in, not realizing what kind of day I'm going to have. And if my first patient's going to put me an hour and a half behind, uh, you never know that. But, um, you know, I'm still one of those doctors that still likes to do everything. Um, you know, I try to go back to my roots when I was in the hospital and that doctor sat with me at bedside, prayed with me. 
Uh, even though that a lot, of now, a lot of times nowadays when you get admitted, your primary doctor don't come to the hospital to see you. And they got these what they call hospitalists. Um, I still enjoy doing hospital. So I'll do my clinic all day and then I'll go and do hospital um, whether I do it. Well, Dietrich said I need to go in the morning and get it done, but that never happens. Mm. So I usually do all my rounding after clinic. And so I still go to both hospitals, both Fabulous and St. Elizabeth's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I, and I think, you know, I'm able to sit down, even though if it's just going to the person, the patient's bedside, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, I might not be able to, um, you know, a lot of that's not, you know, the healing part of it. I feel like I'm not a healer. I don't feel like I'm a healer. I feel like that I'm a, I'm a vessel. I feel like God uses me as a vessel to be there for the people who are going through the healing process mm-hmm. and to be able to use my knowledge base to kind of, you know, head them in that right direction or, you know, what are God's, you know, you know, stories for them or whether, you know, there's no other, there's nothing else I can do other than just to be a, uh, a, what do you call it? Counselor, uh, uh, just like, you know, patients want just to, just to speak to them like a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Just to sit down at bedside and, you know, and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. You know, I know what you're going through stuff. And I, I don't have all the vessels to, to heal you or to make this 100% better or completely heal you. But I want you mentally to feel like you can fight this, you know, um, because half of medicines, you know, you know, you can go through and read the books and say, oh, yeah, you treat this with this. You treat this with that. You treat that with that. But, hey, that's only half of it. Uh, the rest of medicine to me is the mental side of it. The mental side controls the spiritual side. Uh, And I mean, the mental side controls the physical side. Yes. And the physical part of it controls the mental side, but which one's going to be stronger? Yeah. And so I I use, I see that every day when I go to the hospital, these patients get a a heart, uh, you know, they go in there and get a triple bypass. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I, and sometimes it's it's worked out sometimes where I get two uh, triple bypass patients at the same time that not only are the cardiovascular and the cardiologist taking care of them, but I'm also involved in their care too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got somebody who's depressed, that has no outlook in life, that's, you know, always you know, negative Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got that person here that you can't, you know, you know, you listen, you hear him out, listen to him, and he's happy go lucky. And there's, you're almost thinking, why, why is this guy so happy? Um, but I guarantee that guy who's so happy, who just went through the same surgery this other guy who, who did it was depressed, that the person who's got a, a, a great outlook on things, he'll get out of the hospital three or four days sooner. Yes. It's a, it, uh, a lot of the books that we, Rob and I collectively read, talk about this whole master servant struggle. Yeah. And uh, if the if the body is telling the brain what's going to happen, well, which one do you want to be in charge? And as you're so rightfully saying, I want my mind to be in charge. Right. right. I want I want. then if you come in with optimism. Yeah. You know, first realism and then optimism. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you can't fail, even if the body fails and it happens. You know, I do a lot of grief work. Sometimes it happens. Right. But that still can be much more easily acceptable because right. it, it, it's just, it, these are, these are facts. And, and, and you go to that grief work and that's where I feel like, you know, that's still the toughest day, that stuff as far as my job is to walk into a patient's room and say, you got cancer, yeah. you know, because a lot of times you're thinking that the specialist told them stuff. Yeah. A lot of times the specialists don't tell them or fulfill all their answers that they ask. Mm-hmm. Right. And as a primary doctor, I'm not an oncologist. I'm not a cancer specialist, mm-hmm. but a lot of times I'm walking into a room at the hospital and get, you know, one, you know, I'm about to be the bearer of bad news. And it, every single time I walk in a room, I'm, a, I'm just like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a rookie, mm. you know, but I feel like God's blessed me in, in that regards because of what I've gone through spiritually and going through the, the, 
the pain and suffering I went through as a child. Right. Um, to know what it's like to be sitting in that bed, what it's like to be sitting there for months, what it's like to have a trach in your, you know, in your throat. Yes. But to be able to sit down at that person's bedside and say, hey, um, you know, what I'm about to tell you is not something you might not want to hear. Right. But at the same time, is we're going to fight this together. You know, and I, and I do tell my patients, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. I will be compassionately blunt, but I won't come out and tell you blunt blank what, you know, rudely that, you know, you get the chance and this is not how to deal with it. I'm going to say, hey, this is what's in front of us. Now, this is all about you. You can go in with a negative attitude and have, you know, you have one or two days to cry about. It. You have one or two days to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. And you can feel sorry for yourself. You have every right to do that. But I said, your biggest, your biggest chemotherapy, your biggest radiation on this right now is going to be your brain in your mind. Mm -hmm. I said, yes. you know, if you want to feel sorry for yourself, and we, I said, right now, we don't know truly what we're dealing with yet, but I said, we're going, we got to go through a biopsy. More than likely, it's going to probably show something that we're going to go through. And I said, this ain't the end of the road. You know, now I will tell you if I feel like, hey, that the treatment plan, the chemotherapy, the radiation is doing more harm to you. I don't, I don't have a I don't have a problem telling these patients that don't put yourself through that. You know, mm. this is, you know, I let, I let them always direct that path. A lot of times I say, I'm not going to let you suffer through this. Um, not alone. Yeah. And if a patient feels positive about what they're going through and, and I know dealing with a diagnosis like that, I've never had a diagnosis. I don't know internally, but I've dealt with enough patients to realize, you know, the people who get through that and, and, and do well, or whether they beat the cancer or they come through it um, are the ones that, or mentally prepared. Right. And that could, like you said, you know, they accept it, they endure it. And then they, you know, those are the ones I feel like it's, that's their best chemotherapy is their brain. Yeah. You know, because once they get down, they feel sorry for yourself. I tell them, I see, you just might as well just let it take you, take you over. Right. Right. So, so something hmm. I've noticed an overarching theme in everything yeah. you say, uh, you operate with a, a very real, uh, humility about you uh yeah and that to me i'm i'm not in your in your circles of doctors but from the outside in the you know civilian world as it were yeah uh looking at you guys it seems like a lot of people in your profession have what they call a, a god complex like they they're do. above other people they do. and we do <laughs> don't, don't lump yourself in with them <laughs> but I noticed this about you, and I've, I've experienced a few doctors in my life that didn't have right, it. Right, right. Yeah. But that makes you a diamond. You, sir, are a jewel in your industry. Uh, are there any things... From personal experience. That's, yeah. that's the only thing separate I mean, from those other uh, uh, God complex people. You know, narcissistic mm -hmm. is the key word for that. Yeah. You know, I think doc a lot of doctors are narcissistic. I'm sorry, guys, out there. Mm -hmm. Um you know, that's just, a, you know, I think a lot of them have to be to do it going to the profession that they're in. But, you know, but I feel like, you know, I had a pastor tell me once before, and I know we're getting a lot of religious into this and not meaning to you, but. Uh, no, that's your story. You know, you know, when anytime, you know, and, you know, I can't quote this because I think there's a lot of doctors, I mean, a lot of pastors that probably use the same quote, but, you know, keep God first, family second. Church third. And there's a reason why I say church third, because church people get you in trouble. That's right. Yes, that's uh, right. Uh, work yes. fourth. Mm -hmm. And recreation, yeah. Okay. I've been guilty in a lot of my life to let work get number one. Yeah. I would let I would let uh, recreation get in and higher up in that standard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you know, even my marriage, you know, I feel like sometimes where we've had our biggest problems is when I put, you know, everything else, you know, work first. You get the system out of order. Yeah, recreation second, family third, God fourth. 
that messes everything up. So, you know, and everybody else has their own story and all of us have our own faith in whatever we want to have faith in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like uh, when you put, you know, your faith in a higher entity, you know, it directs your other paths in your life. Indeed. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I am thoroughly impressed. I'm curious, mm-hmm. though. Now, you look at yourself through a lot of uh, reflection. <laughs> I've noticed that. You you study yourself as you talk. Yeah. Uh, do you view yourself as a success? Oh, man, that's a tough question. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Um, I feel like every day, um, I have my bad days like everybody else does. Of course. You know, get to look, you know, and Dietrich knows sometimes I can play a little pity party. Um, <laughs> don't we all? But, but yeah, so, I mean... I don't know the words. I know I don't. I don't think I don't consider myself. I, mean, I say I'm successful. Yes. Okay. That's that's the answer. yeah. So I yes. think you know, but you know, I'm successful for my family. I'm successful for my kids. I'm successful, um, hopefully, for my patients. Where you know, you know, one day they can ask me. They can look up to me and say, "Hey, doc, can I just take ten minutes of your time and talk to you?" And I say, mm. "What yeah, better like form of success is there?" Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know. Here's the beauty of that word. Uh, you're defining it. Yeah. You know, that's one of our questions we like to ask for people to define success. Yeah. So it's really a personal definition. It is. Yeah. I, yes, there are probably people that look to monetary means, but I can tell you we haven't had a guest yet that has done that. Yeah. So your yours is more in the connectedness. Yes. And I feel like the challenges that I went through in life, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with going through, you know, being a single mom and being, going through a split family and going through the accident. Yeah. I could sit there and feel sorry for myself all I wanted to. Yeah. You know, and there's times I sit in that hospital thinking, when am I ever going to get out of this? You know, and going through high school, you know how get rude kids and worry about my self-complex self-image yeah you know i did go through those stages in life you know but i got to the point in my life where you know what your, your biggest critic's gonna be yourself and nobody else nobody's gonna stop nobody this, this world's so busy mm-hmm. that they're not gonna stop and pick you up right right there's genuine people in this world that would do that mm-hmm. those you know well, those are very far and few between but when you get knocked down a lot of that is gonna be you that's yeah. gonna be you determine whether you're gonna get up whether you're gonna get up and fight yes uh you know, and, and that's what I consider successful is I've gone through a lot of challenges in my life, but I can feel sorry for myself. You know, I've had people say, oh, you can't get medical school going through junior college. You, you know, you don't, you know, you're going the wrong route. Well, that's my own story, mm. you know, and that's where I feel like the word success coming in. I think I'm successful in proving them wrong. Mm. And I'm not, I trying, love it. I'm not trying to prove them wrong. I just, you know, I've always wanted to um, prove, I wanted to prove I could do it to the people who doubted. Mm. It also sounds to me like you wanted to prove to yourself yes. that you can yes. do it. Yeah. Uh, and that is the, that, as you said, your biggest credit. You know, you're, you know, my brother, you know, we have a great bond, you know, and he tries to say, you know, I'm so proud of you, Chad. And I'm like, you know, Craig, I said, you're a big, just, you're a big part of the story, just like I am. And I said, I'm proud of you for making me who, who I am. Mm. Uh, you know, there's times in my surgeries, I came out of a 14 hour surgery and I, Looked up one time after having a, you know, when you come out of a 14 hour surgery and you're recovering, you can't remember much of anything other than give me my dilaudid, give me my medicine. <laughs> yeah. um, but I remember looking up and seeing my brother cry. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he was 16, 17 years old that time. And I asked my mom later on when we had our time together, I said, why did Craig cry? Why was he crying? She goes, he feels like he should have won in that bed. Wow. You know, he should, he should, you know, he feel like he's the one that's put you in that situation where you've had to go all these surgeries and he takes full responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. I said, mom, I said, it's, it's part of the story. Yeah. 
Yeah. The amazing thing is that you don't see that as a tragedy. No, I don't. You see don't. it. Uh, it sounds to me like you it's see it as challenge. you see it as a blessing. It formed you yeah. into the success that you became. Yeah. I don't remember the pain. I don't remember playing getting shot. That's amazing. That like, and I'm just going based on what my brother's telling me, what my mom's telling me, on how it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't remember getting shot. I don't remember going to the ER. But you were only three. I was only three. Yeah. And, you know, we have, a, you know, I think we have a way of like, you know, locking all that out. Absolutely. Sure. You know, so, um, but I, I do remember going through my surgeries and asking mom, why am I going through all these surgeries? Then I found out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I, yeah, we could write chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Um, right. All my hospital days, but those days are gone. Well, so you brought up Craig. Yes. Uh, where is Craig now? Craig, Craig lives in Carrollton, Texas. Uh, he always likes to say he's part of the medical profession. He's a, uh, he's a chemical engineer. Uh, no, he's an electronic engineer. So okay. he needs a big blood, you know, like if you go get your blood work done or if you're in the hospital and you're getting blood work done, they have to run it on a machine. You know, the machine's probably, I don't know, four times the size of this table. Mm. They can run, you know, I don't know, Craig, around 200 samples an hour, I don't know. Mm. But if that thing electronically breaks down, you know, he he knows the circuit board left and right, and if he, if the field engineers can't do it, then he has to fly and you know to that hospital and get that machine up and running, you know, within a certain deadline. Um, wow! So he can certainly, you know, he's so he's a technically a, in a medical profession, working for medical equipment. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It yeah. really is. Yeah, he's a you know he's a, he's a big strong part of my life. Mm. I'm going to ask you a hard question yeah. to answer. Yeah. It's hard for everyone. What would you say would be your legacy? Compassion. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, um, the sitting with those patients and to know what they're going through mentally, physically, um, I feel like I can relate to them a lot better than a lot of like those uh, narcissistic, egotistical <laughs> yeah. physicians that are out there. Yeah. Um, a lot of those doctors haven't went through one day of pain in their lives. And they've not gone through and been on the patient bad side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones I feel like can't relate. You know, but I feel like just a compassion part of medicine that I feel like is my legacy. And, you know, um, you know, somebody wrote an article one time when I first got here to Beaumont, Texas, and they said, uh, uh, and I really didn't think of it now, but now I look at it and it says the, the name that they were doing the same kind of story about my life that you are doing now. Mm-hmm. And the title of that article was uh, Compassion, the Hallmark of Hammond's Practice. Well, as a patient of yours, mm-hmm. I can tell you that you do practice it. Yeah. Yeah, I say compassion. Uh but my legacy, and hopefully I, you know, when I leave this earth that um my kids will say, you know, dad dad uh installed these values in us. Um but I want them to leave this earth, you know, have and I want them if I could install anything into my kids is to go out and care for others. Yeah. You know, we're all human and all we need is a hug. Mm-hmm. All of us. You know. And so I think, you know, they're able to implement to that, to the practice of medicine mm-hmm. um, is where I feel like is my spiritual gift. Empathy. Empathy. Yeah. That's right, right. Empathy and compassion. It's beautiful. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not the genius, you know. I, yeah, I went through a lot of knowledge. I mean, I went a lot, through a lot of education. I feel like, you know, my, my brother-in-law, uh, Kyle, if you ever listen to this, he, he'll probably say he didn't say this, but, you know, he goes, you know, I, I don't know about y'all doctors. Oh no! You know he goes. Uh, y'all are just glorified guessers. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, oh no! If you ever have a problem, I said, don't come to me. I said, but uh, 
I tell you what, I can at least tell you what your top two problems are. I might be wrong on the first one, but the second guess, I'll know it. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. You know, then, you know, he went through something in his life where he had some health problems and uh, he called me one day and I said, I think you got, you know, not reticulized. You got, uh, uh, you know, stone blocked up or something like that. And sure enough, I was right, you know, on the first try. You know, and so he's, his perception of, of doctors now changed. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I do remember that when I first married. I don't think I was even married to Dietrich then. He goes, you know, um, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I, what I think about y'all's doctors, but I will say y'all are, y'all, are, y'all get paid to guess. Yeah. It, it honestly, I mean, to be a qualified guesser, most people in professions are actually guessers, but we have a system and yeah. that's what makes us credible. Yeah, yeah. We get to we get to the solution more often than right. not. Right. It's and, when I had to challenge these insurance companies. I would say they say, Well, why do you think you need this test for your patient? I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's like when y'all leave me into these questions. I yeah. yes. I said, Oh, uh, let me give you a hundred and fifty thousand dollars hundred fifty thousand reason why because I have a hundred and fifty thousand in school loans. And I said uh, <laughs> and I said and I think I you know I think I have a knowledge base because of the hundred and fifty thousand dollars in school loans. Yes. Uh, to make that qualified and knowledge about what needs what my patient needs. I don't need an insurance company telling me what my patient doesn't need. Right. There you go. Yeah. Right. I said but if you want to go ahead and pay my hundred and fifty thousand dollar loans, go for it. Yes. I said but that's only I can say that, you know, I, I can say right now that I still have to on my debt. I mean, I've paid that off a lot more. But I just say, you know, at one time I had $150,000 in debt for medical school. Yeah. Um, and I say, I guess that gives me a reason to know why what's best for my patient. And 12 years on top of high school, you know. So. There you go. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm getting a little cocky there. You want to talk about doctors? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that is not cocky. Like but that's <laughs> not even egotistical. That's yeah. confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. different. Uh, but it, one of our questions you like to ask is, who's the biggest competitor? I think we just found one. Yeah, yeah these guys. Yeah, read insurance, insurance companies. I'll fight, for, I'll fight for my patients for sure. There you go. That yeah. is awesome. And they, they perfectly want doctors not to pick up the phone and fight it. They want they want to they want us to give in to them. Mm. So yes, yes, that's my biggest competitor. Those are the ones I like getting on the phone with. And, right, and, and, right. Uh, Give them my little uh, right. uh, sarcasm and uh, smart eloquence. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're fighting for those. That's right for those patients. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell my patients don't need a CT or a neck or an MRI or a neck or MRI or spine. It's, you know, oh, they got to do six weeks of therapy first. No. Let me order what I want to order from. But if you make the problem worse by doing this six weeks of therapy, that you know, or you miss something that it was more serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just best to know. Yeah, yeah. So where do you see yourself five years from now? Well, uh, hopefully, I'm. uh, You know, I'll be uh, retiring from the school board. Uh, (laughs) No, I love the school board, y'all. Uh, uh, at the end of this term, I'll be on it for nine years. Um, but uh, five years from now, I'll still be working hard in practice. I don't ever see myself retiring. Uh, if you really want to ask me, well, I love that. Do I feel like, do I, no, because I don't feel that my what I do is a job. I feel like it's just part of my daily routine and, and what I keep on saying. I think this is my spiritual gift to practice medicine. You know, retirement isn't even a thing no. in many other countries and languages. Yeah. We invented that. Yeah, right, right. right. And I think I think that I'll always will practice medicine. I'm like, when I get 65, 70, you know, sure enough, when the kids are out and they're grown, they got the kids. I'm sure me and Dietrich will pack up. I won't say pack up, but we'll 
you know, I wouldn't mind going practice travel medicine, go up to Colorado, go right. up to uh, Wyoming and spend a month there and work in the ERs or something. Sure. You know, but I, you know, I work two or three days a week and then, yeah, you know, play off the rest. So, so, so there may be a reinvention in yeah. the industry, but you would love to stay in that. Yeah. In this five years from now, I'll still be here practicing heart medicine. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of quit taking a lot of new patients because my practice has gotten pretty full and that's a blessing. Yes. Um, but sometimes is I'm always wanting to help other people. I'm like, oh, just take one more, take one more. My office like, Chad, we're full. Um, so. And all these lovers and people keep sending you text messages. Yeah. So-and-so, so-and-so. Can you take it? Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of like what I do. I, I, you know, I keep on taking on more and more, you know, I like, you know, like I said, uh, so I kind of do a day with, Kind of what my day's like, you know. Mm. Uh, Detroit love for me to get up at five and go do rounds at six. So I don't have them. I'm, 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 I'm real like it is. I don't get up till six thirty and <laughs> head to the office till seven thirty. Um, where a lot of doctors will get to the office at five o'clock. But so I'll do a full day of clinic. Uh, Mondays are all days clinic. Um, Tuesdays I do a half day clinic, and then I do nursing homes on Tuesday afternoons. I feel like you know those people need love too. Mm. Um, and uh, Wednesdays I do a full day of clinic. Thursdays, I do a full day clinic and hospital. I'll, every one of those days, I do hospital too. And then Friday, uh, I'll do a half day clinic like dentist do. Uh, dentist, or, dude, I don't need dentist work on Friday. <laughs> I right? So dentist? All right. Anyway, I'll call y'all by y'all names if you want. Uh, but, you know, um, you know, I still haven't figured that out yet. Uh, but so half day clinic on Fridays, and I do hospice on Friday afternoon. So, um, oh, man. That, and, um, which, I, you know, so it challenges me. And then I do uh, the school board. Uh, uh, depends on what issues going on. Yeah. Um, but usually I meet with them once a month. And if there's any hot issues, it can be a whole solid week of meetings. Mm. Uh, or trying to go through a superintendent search. Uh, usually we'll up there for a whole month. So when that, you know, leaving practice and going up there until 11 o'clock at night, mm. uh, going through an interview process for a new superintendents or trying to find a new superintendent. Right now we go great with Dr. Tempton. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I know in the near future and in the year he'll be retiring. Um, and so when we do that superintendent search again, I'm like, oh no, another superintendent search. But those are, those are trying times. And those are, you know, where I know I'm going to be away from my family till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that's right. Free. I mean, working for the yeah. school board is free. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah, like, no, it is. I, I, I really don't know why I got on the school board. Um, you know, I had several patients say, we like you because you're compassionately blunt. And I took that and I said, okay, I can apply that to the school. Found you know. a place to deposit that. And also, too, is, you know, medicine enough is a challenge, but it kind of gives me a chance to step back and, and put my, my, you know, and, and learn something else that's not medicine. Okay. Um, and, and, I, and I, you know, being on the school board now going on seven years, uh, oh man, there's so much more about the school districts that a lot of people don't know and they, they'll criticize. Um, but at the same time, is I feel like, you know, there has to be a voice for these kids and yeah um I, and uh i feel like lumberton's head in the right direction good is there well, something you do to regenerate you that's a lot of energy it is. it is yes to regenerate you um i, I i'll work out my spare time uh, i wish i worked out more but at least get at least two uh two or three runs in a week um uh, now it's been more like one or two uh but a perfect world is when I get home uh, and, you know, Detroit likes for me to wind down. A lot of times I'll go run and get those energy out. And then I get home, it's it's just focus on family. And I honestly wish I had more time to be at home. And, uh, you know, and, you know, but right now, if, if I get a good two hours just to sit down and just sit on the couch and uh, uh, looking at the TV, whether I'm comprehending it or not, and just being next to the family, uh, 
well, one, one's in there playing the computer, uh, Devin. Uh, the other one's a baylor, so it's just me and Dutra now in the in the living room. So that's how I do the wind down, you know. And I wish I had more time for that. I wish I had more quality time with my wife and my kids. Uh, but you know, there's that, you know. I think I'm doing better at, at putting God first, family second, and work um, works third for the download. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's probably you know it should be fourth, but um, but I, I think I'm doing a little bit better with that. You know, a lot of times you know there's months where work will creep up ahead of everything else. Mm -hmm. I got to work better on that. That's my biggest challenge. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that age thing. I think you just threw out 70 arbitrarily. Yeah. But, I mean, I know we're not, we're we're creeping up on that. But yeah. maybe you're just in that sweet spot right now. You know, the kids are kind of kind of moving in their direction. So, yeah. this is a good time to put a little more. And he knows Dietra. Dietra reflects a lot of me. And I reflect a lot from her is, uh, you know, if Dietra knows that, no, Dietra, you know, uh, she don't have an enemy in the world. Uh, and she will talk as much as I'll talk. Uh, and she'll, it don't take her two seconds to stop what she's doing and helping somebody. That's right. So that's awesome. Well, I want to, I want to challenge you with something. Yeah. You, you, you give your list. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's a one through five list yeah. uh -huh. and you have God first. Yeah. But what I want to challenge you with is to be a little softer on yourself because what I hear as you talk is God's in all five of yours. While God may be number one on the list. Yeah. I see your practice as a ministry. You're right. I'm sure so you're I, right. I want you to be a little softer on yourself and, and understand that you are practicing a ministry, a full-time ministry, even though you get paid and yeah, you right. know, all that kind of fun stuff. You put more into it than what's necessary. You put the heart of a man who is right. a believer. You're right. I don't, think, I don't think of it that way, but like I said earlier, you know, I, I see it as you know, something that you know, walking in their practice, I feel like it's like my spiritual gift. Like you said, if, if that's my spiritual gift, then I'm reflecting God. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's just the hours. Yeah. That I feel like I take away from being physically with my family. Mm -hmm. uh, that I feel guilty a lot about sometimes. Um, okay. But that's just, you know, 17 years of practice, it's just installed in me. I don't know, you know, as much as I say I'm going to change that, I don't think I ever will. That's yeah. a tough one in part of the system. I don't think I yeah, will. Yeah, right. Uh, so, one of the things that uh, I enjoy about our interviews yeah. is this little part right here. Yeah. And so uh, we, everybody that has been invited on has been invited for a reason because right. there's a story we already kind of knew. Yeah. And so now I would like for you, you can, if you will, like you're looking back maybe at you in your 20s or maybe some young people in their late teens or 20s. And as if you're imparting a wisdom that probably you did receive, maybe you can just re-impart onto them, or maybe something fresh that you reformed to say, if I could give them some words of wisdom, what would some of those words and be? And I do fall in that, you know, predicament now where I see these kids growing up and they're trying to decide about college, trying to decide. I said, uh, you know, don't let nobody tell you you can't do something. Yeah. You know, um, and then as you go through these challenges in your life, don't let that define you. Don't let that challenge define you. Um, you know, you can either accept the challenge and let it drive you into the dirt, or you can say, you know what, this is a challenge that I'm going to have to endure, go over that bump, press forward. Um, you know, here I go again using, you know, I guess, like you said, it's part of my life. God's part of my life. Yeah. And I implement that a lot. But I, I, go, I live by a verse, and it says Proverbs 16, 9. It says, in his heart, a man plans his course in life, but the Lord determines their steps. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I, you know, I tell these patients, I mean, my patients, and, they, and I say, you know what? If you want to do something, don't let one or two years or you saying I have to step back from school, focus on this, and then get back in school and do it. 
you know, there's, you know, we got a lot of friends of our own personal thing. They didn't go to college and they're doing very well entrepreneur wise. They're a blessing to the community. Um, you look at them, they got a smile on their face. Um, you know, they give to the school district, they give to, you know, the church. Um, but, you know, I feel like these kids nowadays need that, um, you know, our generation is different. Our, oh, yeah. our generation, you know, and I'm not trying to knock any of the parents, but, you know, there's no, you know, there's, I feel like discipline should be better in these children that we're raising. I feel like, you know, that, that a part of all that will define how they are later in their life when they do um, endure challenges that, you know, that the part of their rising up, the part of the discipline they went through pushed them through that, that, that uh, obstacle. Right. Absolutely. Um, other than just, I uh, give up, yeah. you know, and the parents let them just give up. You know, I see that in my practice, you know, and like they want to come in and they want to bring their child in with all these problems, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I always want, you know, I always want to focus and say, focus on you, focus on how you should be as a parent towards that child. And a lot of these personal problems that you're having with your child will improve. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I said, but we're not, I mean, we're all human, but our generation is totally different in how we're raising it. And, you know, we're, I'm partly to blame for that. That's right. Mm-hmm. We all are. You're yeah. 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 That's right. You know, um, I can remember the days where you did something wrong, you got a little lick. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. And that lick went a long way. Yeah. And I guarantee I didn't do it again. That's right. Well, you know, what I said with these kids is, uh, you know, you know, I had these people that are actually having to pay for their own school. You know, I had these patients, you know, these 18, 21 year old kids are coming in and saying, mom and dad can't afford this. I'm working on the side. I'm going to school on the side. I said, just stay in there, hang in there. I said, I said, don't rush into the decision of what you want to do in your life. Like, I said, just have patience, take a, a breath. I said, whether well, it takes six months to a year to refocus on that. I, I, I mean, I took a, a year between college and medical school, and I feel like that was, a, you know, at that time, I'm like, oh, it's one year. I, 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 like, that one year was probably the best breather I ever had. Wow. To make me refocus on, you know, and, but at that time, I just wanted to jump right into medical school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I kept myself busy in, in, into the education part of it. But, you know, that one year, a little reprieve from undergrad to I got into medical school. Mm-hmm. At that time, I thought that one year was everything. It's not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like these kids nowadays just need to, you know, if I could give them any encouragement is to, you know, push through those challenges, you know, don't let those challenges define you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's days I, that, you know, there's days I'm not saying the challenges never define me, but at the same time as. I either listen to everybody else tell me I couldn't do something or approve that I could. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's I, like, I, I don't think your challenges defined you at all. Mm-hmm. I think you found definition in your challenges. Yeah. yeah. It's different. It's not the same. Right. Yeah. And I, and I wish those people that, you know, that used to give you a hard time when I was a child and adolescence, you know, could overcome the challenges that they had to go through in life. You know, I think a lot of those people that used to mm-hmm. tell me I couldn't do something are the ones that now are saying they can't. Mm-hmm. That's right. There yeah. you go. Look, one of the words we often use in our practice is owner versus victim. Yeah. And so if it's a challenge, well, I own it. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to let it victimize me no. by any means. And by owning it, I'm going to overcome. There's you're in. I like your message because uh, these young people, if they will just keep pressing, it, it's going to happen. Yes. You know, and you know. So you asked me real quick. I'm like, I, I think I have to mention this. You know, um, here I go back to. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not one of those, uh, uh, you know, thou shalt not do this, not to do that. I just, I, I feel like that God speaks for those in, in indirect ways. And if we're letting, um, you know, but I feel like uh, the way that that verse came up to me, Proverbs 69, it's really weird because I was actually at that 
that Christian came with my best friend Ben. Yeah. You know, he's the one asked me to go to the seminary. Uh-huh. He said, just give one you one you go please he goes, I need I need I need a friend to go with me to seminary. I'm like, oh man, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I was working with him, we were up, upstate New York and we were working up there north of Albany. And um, you know, they made you have a, you know, uh, I was a, actually a, a camp counselor then and they made us have just one uh, 30 minutes of quiet time. And that 30 minutes of quiet time was to do whatever you wanted to really. They really wanted you to do like a little daily devotion, but it was really what you what you needed to do with it. And I, honestly, that one day I was doing my quiet time, doing my, you know, uh, spiritual reading back then when I was trying to be a good counselor. Uh, and so these other kids would see me do that. And kid you not, I opened that book to Proverbs 16.9. And um, I was actually trying, I was, I was having some challenges in it, whether I should give up one year, just one year and go do one year of seminary. Uh, or go straight to where I'm getting a you know athletic scholarship to be an athletic trainer at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's because I already had already got accepted to have that scholarship to Baylor. I'm not making up. He wants me to give up almost a 75 percent ride to Baylor to give him to go to one year seminary. Wow. Um, and with that that verse right there defined it all. You know it says in his man I mean Proverbs 69 in his heart a man plans his course in life the Lord determines his step. I didn't go seek that passage. That passage, that, honestly, I, I kid you not, you know, you can, I mean, there's no lie, there's no exaggeration to the truth. I was on the Bible that day, and Proverbs 69 was right in front of me, you know, and uh, literally, I know my wife got that framed years ago. Um, That's beautiful. That you know, is. But I let that, I let that verse define me, um, yeah. you know, and every day, you know, and, and what I do from here on out, what you said, what I do from five years, that's, a, that's, I mean, who knows? Just keep stepping. Who knows what five years is going to be like from me? Right. It could change. Well, we are we are drawn to a close now. Yeah. You, you have been amazing. Yes. Uh, your story is incredible. Uh, is there any uh, anything you'd like to say? Um, I- anything you'd like to? Well, I want I mean, I want to, you know, say I'm blessed to be able to sit here with y'all and to be able to do this, to see y'all's mission, uh, to see where y'all's uh, um you know, this is a mission. I, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I feel like y'all doing this and be able to, you know, take successful people and people who are endured something in life to be able to take it and get their, you know, their views of life and how to help others go through their troubles, trials and tribulations um, is a blessing to y'all. The fact that y'all are giving up your free time to do this where you're away from your families because I told them I can't do it until seven o'clock. <laughs> and you know, we're sitting on eight o'clock right now at night. Yeah. And, uh, that right there is I want to say thank you. You know, thank you for letting me tell my story. You know, and when when I told Detroit I was doing this, I said I feel weird. And I said I just I don't I, I don't do this to pat myself on the back. You know, I said I actually feel weird talking about myself. I really do. Now Detroit will say otherwise. Oh, you like to talk about yourself all the time. Um, <laughs> your wife, she's supposed to say <laughs> that. I don't want to edit that. That's <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Chad. Thank you. Well, I can tell you this. Just listening to you, yes. I've heard no self-aggrandizement. I have heard. I mean, you you operate with distinct humility, yeah. and I appreciate that. And yeah. it has been a total privilege, yeah, to have you. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah. Uh, thank Chuck. You. Is there anything you'd like oh, to add? It's just thank you for the blessing, man. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Man, back at you and I love my place. I didn't come and see you too. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. But no, you blessed us by the compliment, man. Thank you. Yeah, you see it as a ministry, and so it, I'm glad we all share that. All right. Yeah. Appreciate that. Well, guys, thank you all for joining us. Uh, again, I, I'm Robbie. This I'm is Chuck. And we've had the pleasure of... Beavis. Do what? Beavis. Be <laughs> no, no, Chad. Dr. Chad Hammond. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be it for this episode. And we thank you all for allowing us to become a part of the pursuit of your purpose. Thank you.